The following is a story of corruption and game warden and courts. One man's life turned upside down in his fight for freedom that was illegally taken from him. This is the Van Howe Operation Snapper Turtle Gate Saga, Episode 1, Pre-Turtle Gate. This is the Thorny Turtle Ranch Podcast. Thomas? This is him. Thomas, Steve Snap-Up. Awesome. You ready, to get, you ready to do this thing? I think so. I think we got a lot of different chapters or episodes or however you want to call them. Where, where do you think you want me to start? Let's start with uh, Turtlegate. And, um, uh, excuse me, what was the gentleman's name? Well, Turtlegate has got uh, many facets to it, but Turtlegate is where... Mr. Van Howe affected my life, which should have been a positive experience, which is, uh, you know, he, he went through some turmoil in the 70s, and then I went some, through some turmoil in the early 2000s. So you want me to tell you about Mr. Van Howe, right? Yeah, but let's, uh, first off, um, first off, let's uh, let you introduce yourself and okay. uh talk about your ranch just really briefly we can kind of all right so i'm i'm steve santuff the proud proprietor of the thorny turtle ranch and the thorny turtle ranch is uh my property in southern louisiana where i'm trying to breed through captive reproduction breed the alligator snapping turtle so that the offspring can be released into the wild because the cajun people of southern louisiana have had a uh, a two-century tradition of consuming alligator snapping turtles as food in various dishes, and they still to this day enjoy consuming that turtle as food, so they capture and kill and eat the turtle. And uh, but it's been wiped out. Well, it's not illegal right now. In Louisiana, there's a, there's a restriction of one turtle per day per person, per boat, per vehicle. Right. So you can take a turtle a day. Um, now it went. It got changed in 2000. To be sold. Sorry, you cut out for a second. When was that? Okay, 2004. 2004, they they changed the regulations from being wide open with commercial exploitation, and uh, and and they they limited the take to four turtles per private person, but uh, uh-uh. but but the size was restricted to 16 inches in an adult size for a shell length a carapace length and uh that's unbelievable i had no idea that people were eating alligator snapping turtles yeah evidently they taste pretty good i i haven't sampled one yet i don't think i ever will right um you 
you know, because I worked so hard to get where we're at now. But um, they got protected in every state besides Louisiana. They, they exist in about 11 states, mm-hmm. and they're really not very common in places like Tennessee, Kentucky. Kentucky did a sampling of like 800 trap nights and never found any. Uh, I did sampling in Missouri in 93, and I found 25, and they found a few more. And it turns out there's a river in Missouri where there should be a pretty good population of them. Um, but that's as far north as they go. It's kind of like a triangle range from the Suwannee River of Texas to the Trinity River, excuse me, Suwannee River of Florida to the Trinity River of Texas, and then up in a triangle to Missouri. Um, but I've got, I've got some that I'm breeding. I've got a, I've got a really good friend of mine, Ben Nakan, uh, N-A-Q-U-I-N. It's a nice French name, popular in southern Louisiana. Uh, Ben's got 100 turtles that I helped him get, and he's, he's uh, become pretty successful at reproducing them. And he's got captive offspring, and we'll be releasing those. I'm trying to coordinate that with the state. I've had a meeting with them already, and uh, things are still, you know, in talks and un- undergoing. Uh, the state seems like they might be interested in, in working with me on that. They, you know, they know it's a pro- well. Some people know it's a problem in the state. I haven't thoroughly convinced everybody, uh, but they did donate to Ben's project financially. So did the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So Ben and I are working closely together, but we both have our own distinct sets of property. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good work. I mean, I just, I, like I said, I had no idea that they were, uh, you know, this, the, their own professional career, you know, in another company outside uh, wildlife conservation altogether. So that introduces me, I guess, huh? Right, right. Okay, so... We'll touch on other episodes. We'll touch on the uh, your your fascination with the with the turtles and when it all began. But in this episode, uh, we want to talk about Turtlegate, which there will be several episodes on this one subject. But we want to we want to start from the beginning, and uh, this okay, is a very yeah. fascinating story. So I'm going so to. You want to start with the Van Hal story, or you want to start with the the actual Turtlegate as it involved me? Whichever, Prior to, whichever one came first. Okay, well, me dis, me discovering Mr. Van Howe came through legal research of my own to keep my myself out of prison for some trumped-up, uh, bogus political, corrupt charges. Um, so I guess I, I guess I need to take you to the time. Oh, you're cutting out. Got out of Missouri in '93, and I'd heard about. Arkansas having just tons and tons of turtles being butchered. Butchered. Okay, hold on. Hold job on. And, and go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, just uh, slow down if you can because you're cutting in and out uh, just a little bit. All right. In '93 in Arkansas. Yeah, '93. I went down into Arkansas to, to investigate what then was completely legal. It was authorized. Nothing mm-hmm. illegal about it. They were taking alligator snapping turtles by the tons and tons. And they were taking them to Louisiana, and Louisiana was pretty much wiped out in so many places. Mm-hmm. And I know there's people still in the state of Louisiana that would disagree with me on that. But with all my experience, I have a hard time finding them, and so does my partner Ben. And you know, uh, the, the state did a survey; they only found you know maybe 500 in a in a year of sampling, but they should have found. They were finding like uh, something like 0.1 or 0.3 per trap night. And they should have found one per trap night. So with 20 traps, they should have found, you know, 12, 15 turtles. And they were finding, you know, one or two turtles. So the state of Louisiana has been hit pretty hard. So in 93, Arkansas 
was supplying a lot of turtles to Louisiana for the meat trade. And I heard about it, and I heard about the turtles being wiped out. And there was a, a game warden in Arkansas that was really concerned about it as well, uh, Ernest Ingalls. He's, uh, he's pretty well known as being a, a very uh, dedicated game warden. And, uh, you know, he's a large man. He's an impressive, impressive person to get to meet and know. And, and uh, he was concerned about the turtles as well. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went undercover in Arkansas just as a private citizen, just asking, you know, asking people about the meat trade and maybe kind of letting them believe or led them to believe that I wanted to purchase a large amount of meat for perhaps restaurants or whatever. And I was yeah. a, I was in my early 20s. So I ended up getting a lot of photographs. I got photographs of bags and bags of skulls hanging from people's back decks of their houses or, you know, the their wow. barn, barns this or whatever. This was in 93? This was in 93. I mean, I have some pictures of like six or seven bags that would be like coffee sacks and big onion sacks that were kind of transparent, you know, because onion sacks, you know, you could see through them. So so some, some bags were of an onion sack type, and they just had huge 100-pound turtle skulls in them. And then other bags were uh, like coffee sack bags, and they just had the outline. So, But they were all together, so you could see – well, here's all the outlines of skulls that you can see through the bag, and then here's all the bags you can't see through, but you can see the outlines. So it's like there's seven or eight bags full of 100-pound turtle skulls, and then just tons and tons of uh, shells and discussions with people about how many tons of meat they could supply a week. And uh, so I put all that together in about a six-page letter, and I sent it to the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission to Steve Wilson, who was the director at the time. And, you know, here I was like 21, 22 years old, and wow. they shut it. They shut it down in ten days. It made it made the AP Wire national news. I mean, you know, not, I don't think there's a national news television network that picked it up, but it made you know several articles in different places that they had shut it down in ten days after receiving my letter. So well, that's, that, that that had that, to have felt like a pretty big major accomplishment at the time. Uh, I, I felt wonderful in it, and yeah, that, I'm almost, almost euphoric uh, uh, being able to. Um, change something like that you're absolutely right euphoria is the right word i was ecstatic i mean i was i felt like i just saved i don't know two hundred thousand alligator snapping turtles from their death and uh, basically the entire future population of the state of arkansas it's kind of you know i felt like i saved them single-handedly well i had a little help uh john richards in missouri who still is involved in alligator snapping turtles he he probably wrote a letter and he he, he got me uh pointed me in the right direction to some places he was familiar with where I should, you know, steer myself going down there. I think I learned about Ernest Ingalls through John Richards. Uh, so it was him, uh, it was he, myself, uh, Ernest Ingalls, the game warden, and uh, maybe a few other people were involved in trying to put pressure on Arkansas to look into it and shut it down. So, right. I mean, I, I, I took a lot of personal credit myself and my own, you know, self uh, fulfilled, you know, I, I was happy. Let me just now, put it did that you, way. Did you, um, did you gain any heat from anyone that was in the business of, of selling these snapping turtles, the meats and everything? I, I got a call from, uh, I think the man's name was Lewis Smith from Holly Grove, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And he told me he was going to sue me for everything I owned. And I said, well, I own a 1988 Ford Ranger without air conditioner. <laughs> and uh, I'm in college. And uh, right. I guess I own, a, I own a few turtle nets, but I guess you can't use those anymore. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, so I said I really don't have much you can get, uh, but uh, nothing I did was illegal. I didn't I didn't say anything that wasn't true, 
Yeah. You know, so he, he, that was the only time he bothered me. And, uh, but you know, it, it, it just worked itself, just worked itself out. I guess people found other things to do with making money. And I don't think I caused anybody to go hungry and, right. uh, save some turtles. Yeah. Quite a bit of them. All right. So you, you've got this, you've got this past and, uh, it's this huge accomplishment. What happens after this? All right, so uh, I did this, did about the same thing in Louisiana, but I had to approach it a lot differently. I wrote them a letter in 94, complimented Louisiana on the beautiful heritage and how, you know, the alligator stamp turtle has been a long tradition. Mm-hmm. And I asked them to look into it. I really, I, I knew I couldn't put the same amount of pressure. On Arkansas, I put a lot of pressure on, on them because I, I ca- carbon copied U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, let them know that, you know, Arkansas was the last state where you could really find them. And and once Arkansas shut it down, there were no other states that Louisiana could legally get turtles from. Uh, you know, Texas started in 87, shutting it down. Florida started in 72. So no, nowhere else could they get turtles, just Louisiana. So Louisiana could only get Louisiana's turtles, and it wasn't even worth it for people to go out and try to find turtles in Louisiana anymore. So they did change the regulations in 94, and then again in 2004, a senator named Robert Barham in 2004 went ahead and uh, got legislation to knock out the commercial trade altogether in 2004 about that time go ahead i was just going to say um you just mentioned earlier that people are still eating these snapping turtles even though we you know they've got to pass the law that they they can't you know get the snapping turtles to eat so like what's going on there is there's is there kind of like a um black market i guess for these uh alligator snapping turtles no, there's there's people sitting in prison right now. I mean, I guess you could answer your question directly. Yeah, there sort of is a black market. There's uh, three men that got prison sentences out of um, the southern southeastern Texas federal district court, mm-hmm. and one man's in Pensacola right now. And, uh, it's kind of a sad story. Either a, a lady related to them, I don't know if it's their mother, ended up committing suicide over this matter. But this is in the last year or two. I think 2017 might have been the court dates, uh, but it's on the Internet. Uh, so there's sort of is a black market, but the chances of getting caught black market wise are extremely high. Right. Um, but it's legal to get one turtle per day per person in, in Louisiana, and people are still doing that. Um, like, for example, I put a couple of videos on Thorny Turtle Ranch. Yeah. Uh, a guy donated a turtle to me, and it's now in the turtle pond, you know, reproducing. It's a male. And that's and the one gonna, that you uh, he's, he's uh, eat it. For anybody that doesn't know, you have a YouTube channel, it's, uh, Thorny, Thorny Turtle Ranch, uh, on YouTube, and uh, he's talking about a video where he actually goes and he uh, gets this turtle. Now, <clears throat> how long ago did that video was that video posted, and and how did you um, just briefly uh, how did you come to learn about this turtle? Uh, th- that turtle I heard about through a coworker. He had sent me a, a just a uh, picture on a text message, and I said. Uh, you know, what's going on with that? Is that something somebody's going to donate to me or they're eating it? And he says, that's why I sent you a text message. And I said, well, put me in touch with the people that have that animal. And uh, that was Richard. And I called Richard and Richard said that, uh, Richard said, hey, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I don't I don't really want to kill it, but it's not mine. So Richard talked to his buddy Cutright. Mm-hmm. And that was in May this this year, 2019. He talked to Cutright into giving it to me. So I went over there and met Cutright. And uh, Cutright's deceased. He passed away in early October, and uh, oh, wow. of, of a heart attack. And but so anyway, so I got that turtle donated. I've had several turtles donated to me, and uh, finally this 
2019 spring, I started trapping a few myself. I hadn't, I've been in Louisiana five years and I hadn't trapped until this year, one turtle per day per person per boat. So, you know, I get a few people together, make sure everybody has fishing licenses, make sure all the vehicles are lined up and I can, you know, try to hopefully get a couple turtles to get in the pond. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's continue on with the story. Um, all right. So, so, uh, 2004, Robert Barham in Louisiana got legislation passed. A couple of years before that, I'd contacted Larry Keck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service out of uh, Missouri. He was the senior resident agent for the law enforcement division of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I told him that they, that, that, that they should really look into the commercialization of turtles across the southeast and how all the turtles were still being taken to Louisiana. And he thought that was a great idea. You know, they hadn't shut it down yet. It, it was not quite 2004. So there were turtles still being illegally taken pretty heavily because um, the commercial market was still open in Louisiana. So there was a black market and he decided that he would, you know, in, encourage the U S fish and wildlife service to look into it. And the Washington DC assigned it to a man named Gary Phillips out of Montgomery, Alabama, a special agent. Mm-hmm. Now, now I had known Gary Phillips, in, uh, I met him in 97. I, I'd been a cooperating private individual with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service since 94. I was actually uh, registered long-term. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was their only long-term registered co- cooperating private individual that ever existed. Monty Holcomb was a agent. I think he was the senior resident agent in Atlanta in 94, and he drafted up the paperwork that remained in Atlanta in 94. So through the 90s, I was providing information to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service if I came across it. Yeah. It was basically yeah. an understanding that I could I could pose questions and make inquiries, and then I wouldn't be scrutinized myself as being um, a suspect, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I could ask somebody, well, what do you have to sell? Well, how much is that? And then it's not like I would be a suspect. Right. finding out where illegal, you know, illegal trade was going on. They had also asked me to get involved in some cases that that I had no knowledge of before they asked me to get involved, and that's going to be some other chapters and episodes. Uh, those are kind of interesting. But the uh, the turtle sting that I suggested that got assigned to Gary Phillips, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Phillips had a had a uh, had a case that he worked. Remember, I mentioned I met Gary Phillips in '97. I met him at the house of a of an agent in Southern Alabama named Clem Parnell, a really, really, really good guy, mm-hmm. who's my friend to this day. We spent about 15 years not talking, but we uh, reestablished our acquaintance and friendship this year. And um, he's been instrumental in providing me with some information that I, I didn't know about, some more corruption unfolding. I can't get into it yet. He, he hasn't opened it up for full public disclosure. Well, but that could, be a, later, sure. a later could be a later episode. That's going to be a later <laughs> chapter. But um, so I met Gary Phillips at Clem Parnell's house when I provided information on some caviar, some illegal caviar activity that I ran across. And then they ended up doing a caviar case. That was a huge case out of Memphis. They had an undercover caviar fish house in Memphis, Tennessee, and agent Gary Phillips from Montgomery was working with agent Tim Ballard. And Tim Ballard is a fantastic man as well. And he was the agent that I was registered to work with based on that first uh, cooperating private individual agreement that was long-term. So that was from 94, the agreement. And then in the early 2000s, they were working that caviar case. 
Now, I didn't know right. they were working the caviar case. But at the time, uh, and Tim Ballard is really, really uh, heartbroken over his whole experience with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And, you know, he, he gave me all this information knowing that I would eventually, you know, make it public. Um, so, you know, the information was given to me under, under that knowledge. And he and Gary Phillips were working together, and he turned Gary Phillips in as being a corrupt agent. And what well, happened, why did he? Okay, what reasoning did he have to do that? Gary Phillips was building cases on people illegally. Ah. He would an example would be I remember a specific example of a, a husband and wife that were very impoverished. The words Tim Ballard used when he described it to me was they were basically hand to mouth. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any food. They were they were fishermen people. They were very poor. Mm-hmm. A very poor uh, couple, husband and wife, probably middle-aged or thereabouts, probably very limited education. All right. And Gary Phillips was trying to build a case on the man, but he didn't have a case. So he was encouraging the man to go to Alabama fishing with him, and the man would turn him down, you know, for the expense, and there's no need to go to Alabama, you know, and this and that. Right. Anyway, Gary Phillips ended up pro- providing him with government equipment. And oh, basically, wow. basically totally enticing the man uh, and entrapping the man into committing what would be federal crimes. So that'd be like a cop um, handing a person uh, a gun and saying, yeah, go ahead, just shoot him. You know I mean? <laughs> basically, I mean, the man, the man was not inclined to break the law or go and break the law. Right. You know, if if the man broke the law in Memphis, Tennessee, and it didn't have to do with a federal-related animal, an animal that was protected under some federal act, then it would just be a state-related crime. But Gary Phelps wanted him to leave the state, and so he was enticing him to leave the state. Now, that's that's really the only example I know of. I wanted to get a lot more details on the caviar case, mm-hmm. but but it, I guess it doesn't. We don't need that many details. That's one example of the type of thing Gary Phelps was doing. So. Tim Ballard turned him in to the chiefs of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And Chief Benito Perez, he was a deputy chief, flew down from Washington, D.C. to Memphis. And he interviewed the agents, and he ended up writing a report, and he stamped draft on the report. And in that report, he substantiated that Gary Phillips had been building cases illegally on people, but he only stamp draft and never made it an official document. And because it was never made an official document, it could never be Freedom of Information Act requested. And by him simply creating the report kind of relieved him of duties in the investigation. And of course, it could always be said at some point down the road, well, it was just a mistake that he never made it into a final report. So I don't believe Gary Phillips suffered any kind of discipline at all. But Tim Ballard was completely blackballed, and his career was turned upside down. And Tim Ballard is a very good man and would never do anything wrong. And he's the type of man, you know, but I met him in my 20s. He was punished for doing the right thing. In no, no, it was worse, it was worse than punished. Mm. Uh, his, his career was ruined. Um, he's oh. the type of man, I met him in my 20s. He would probably have been in his early 40s. Right. And he was just, he, I looked up to him. I just thought he was just, just an amazing guy. We, uh, he had me help him at his at his house in Tallahassee. I, I helped him put a roof on some buildings, 
and we we worked together and spent a, you know a lot of time just talking about life and his former careers. He had solved several murders when he was in the uh, NCIS as an agent. He had solved several murders that were committed by sailors in the Navy. You know, murders of prostitutes, murders of other sailors for their money, um, things like that. It was incredible. It was really really interesting to hear those stories from him. But he was a good friend. I I I don't talk with him right now, and I believe it's because. You know, if if I do talk with him, of course, there's that whole U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service thing that he just wishes he could forget. But they they sent him to Virginia, and uh, I guess my version of the story is they gave him a desk job without a telephone. I don't know really if he had a telephone or not, but it was just a miserable situation. Um, they they basically did uh, they blackballed him, and they they that's they that that's how I describe it. They gave him a desk job with a key to a room and no telephone. So is this one reason why you didn't talk to um, uh, Gary for so long? Uh, you said you had mentioned that you hadn't talked to him, uh, kind of fell out of friendship for about 15 years and didn't really talk very much. Uh, well, that was Clem, Clem Parnell. Oh, Clem Parnell. Okay, okay. Yeah, Clem, Clem Parnell's the good agent that's an Alabama state agent. Gary right. Phillips was a federal agent out that's of right. Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. That's so I'd met Gary at Clem's house. But then when this, when certain things happened to me, you know, further on towards 2005, there was a big gap where I didn't talk with Clem. Wasn't sure mm-hmm. if Clem wanted to talk to me. You know, Clem was always the type of guy, unless you caught him at home on the landline, you would never, you would never get him to return a call. I don't even know if he ever listened to an answer machine. His wife probably took care of that. But, but then cell phones came out and, you know, now, shoot, I call him, he calls me right back. But, um. So let's see where we were at on this. The, the, the Tim Ballard. So Tim Ballard ended up coming close to suing the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and ended up getting a job back in Arkansas and ended up finally retiring and just being really salty with his whole experience. Mm. Now, I've talked to some federal agents recently, and they let me know that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has really cleaned up their act, and there's really not the same level of corruption as they saw before. So that's, that's good to know, you know, that's good to hear yeah. like to probably find out more about that and be sure that's true. But, but so, so Gary Phillips, Gary Phillips got assigned this turtle case that I suggested to Larry Keck. Right. Uh, he got assigned that turtle case in the early two thousands and two agents had flown down to my house in Atlanta to interview me about how they should go about doing that. And those agents were Sheila O'Connor out of Michigan and Gary Jagodinsky out of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And Tim Ballard knew Gary, and Tim Ballard had told me that, that Gary Jagodinsky was a very good agent as well. So they spent an afternoon with me, and I told them all about Arkansas and told them all about Louisiana and told them all about everything else that I could think of to get them a good case going and a good, you know, good undercover sting, which they started, and they did it. They did it across the southeast, but they signed it to, you know, Gary Phillips. And, of course, Gary Phillips has got a history of whatever Gary Phillips history is, you know, based on right. that draft report that I, I haven't seen it yet myself. I'd love to get a copy of it. And uh, so then about the year 2004, I get a phone call from a man. I'd advertised some Rubbermaid stock tanks, you know, big plastic tanks that cattle would drink from. Right. I advertised some Rubbermaid stock tanks on the internet. And, and the guy called me, he says, yeah, I need to get some of those stock tanks from you. Cause you know, I had a pretty good price. And he says, yeah, I, I need them for some turtles, you know. I got these turtles. I'm selling these turtles. And I said, okay. So I talked to him a little bit about what he had, and I determined that what he had would be illegal. 
And so I'd called Tim Ballard and I let him know. And uh, Tim said, uh, you know, be sure you don't do anything on your own, you know. Right. I, 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 guess I, I also called Gary Phillips because, you know, I met Gary Phillips with Clem Parnell and I didn't know anything about what had transpired with, with Tim Ballard and Gary Phillips. Tim Ballard just, he didn't really seem like he wanted to take a bunch of information from me. He just said, be sure don't do anything on your own. So that, that was kind of weird, I, but I didn't put everything together really at the time. And so Gary Phillips took the information and he asked me, he said, hey, I, I want you to try to make a deal with that guy. Can you make a deal to try to buy some turtles? I said, I think I can, you know, I probably can. Yeah, he didn't so expect I, anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so Gary Phillips uh, asked me to do a buy and set up a buy for Thursday. I set it up for Thursday. I think that's September 4th, 2004. So it got to be Tuesday, and the buy was going to be for 400 something dollars worth of turtles that would have been from Alabama. They're called Black Knob Sawbacks. They live in the Alabama River system. They're really a pretty turtle, yellow stripes. They got uh, a sawback with big old black knobs. They're gorgeous, gorgeous turtles. They're pretty high in demand in the pet trade. Captive bred, they sell for over $100 for a hatchling turtle. And even to this day. And uh, so it was 400 something dollars of, of turtles. And I made that deal. And we were going to meet on a Thursday, but it got to be Tuesday. And I didn't have any contact from Gary Phillips about any money, and I wasn't going to use my own money. So I called Gary Phillips on Tuesday in Montgomery, and I said, you know, we got this appointment scheduled for Thursday, but you haven't sent me any money. And Yeah, I, how much I, I, of, I, yeah, I'm going to buy this? <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be using my own money. I mean, right. I shouldn't have to go to the bank and withdraw money. What if I don't have well, That's quite a bit of money, too. What, what, if I need, <laughs> what if I got a mortgage coming up? You know, Why would you want me to use my own money? So he's like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. I said, well, if you don't send it today on Tuesday or tomorrow, I said, I really won't have it in time because I'm going to go straight from work. I work late at night till maybe nine some nights. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and meet him at 10 o'clock at night, but I'm not necessarily going to get a chance to go home, and you can't send it to my work. So, I mean, you need to send that today. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get that. I'll get that off in the mail. I'll, I'll get that to you. And so FedEx arrived in a nice FedEx envelope. There was a business envelope inside a FedEx envelope with four hundred dollars cash, or four twenty, or four forty, or whatever it was, and twenty dollar bills. And I left that money right in that envelope. And so then I made that deal. You know, Gary Phillips, he didn't want to be with me. You know, he didn't he didn't want to come over and be around the corner or anything. And uh, I asked him if he wanted me to record it, and he said, yeah, and I happen to have a little micro cassette recorder. So I put that in my left pocket and tested it out a few times, and of course, I'm going off to uh, meet some turtle dealers in North Georgia somewhere, and, you know, I'm going to carry my own gun, so I put my snub nose 357 Magnum in my right pocket and, and had that tape recorder in my left pocket, and I went to meet uh, this, this turtle dealer, and he brought his friend with him, and uh, they... they uh, they had two vehicles and it was, I don't know, it was kind of, it was kind of weird and strange. You know, I hadn't been doing a lot of undercover buying, especially on my own around the corner. Everything I did was with some federal agents around the corner. Right. Um, so I did that buy and it went well, but they were offering me other turtles and other things. And, and they had some mistaken identity on some turtles. And then they offered me some turtles that uh, a guy in Missouri, I mentioned him earlier, John Richards, he had had his farm robbed. They robbed him of four thousand eggs of alligator snapping turtles and here yeah. these these turtle dealers are offering me these hatchling alligator snapping turtles yeah something's just, all right there 
you, you just can't get a bucket of hatchling alligator snapper turtles. So I'm thinking, man, these guys must have robbed those from John Richards unless they know some other turtle farmer that's got hatchling alligator snapper turtles. Kind of describe what these, what these gentlemen look like. All right, so so this guy, he went by the name of Steve Davis, and he was, uh, at the time, he's probably in his 30s and mustache and, and dark hair, relatively short, kept a mustache. He was tall, slender. So he's, he's like probably, with a mustache? A little taller than you. A <laughs> little taller. He doesn't look like Joe Pesci like you uh, do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, just, he's pretty clean cut, um, mm-hmm. tall, 6'2" uh roughly my height i guess and so his name was steve davis and he brought along his friend with him and uh i can't remember his friend's name but the alabama license plate was cj 3030 on the on the truck it was a ford truck cj 3030 license plate and uh so i made that buy i ended up buying the extra turtle that they had the wrong identification on and i made it clear what the identification was had i bought it under their identification it would have been a state of georgia crime to end up buying and possessing the turtle based on their identification mm-hmm. but but i corrected them on the identification and they agreed on tape and uh they was it was they called it a common map turtle and i and I, and i thought that was weird why are they offering me this common map turtle it was it was actually a turtle I recognized to be out of Arkansas, and it was a Wachita map turtle. It looked like what they looked like in, in in Arkansas. And it had some shell rot, and it hadn't been taken very good care of. And they were like, well, we wanted to offer it to you. And I said, well, I said, well, well, what are you trying to get for that turtle? By me saying, what are you trying to get for that turtle is not me saying I want it. You know, I'm not trying to further myself into any kind of crime. It just was a weird – I felt weird about everything. Yeah. And they, they said, I don't know. What's it worth to you? And I said, well, that turtle's only worth about five bucks. And they, they laughed and they said, that's what we were thinking too. And I said, oh yeah, you would, I said, you would sell that turtle to me for five bucks. They said, sure. I said, well, there's only one problem. And this is crystal clear on tape recording. Mm-hmm. And they said, they said, well, what's that problem? I said, well, you're trying to call that thing a common map turtle, but that's not a common map turtle. That's a Wachita map turtle. And they said, what, uh, how do you know? And I just went on and on about the yellow coloration and the pupils and the shape of the shell and the coloration. I wore them out, man. I wore them out on identifying the turtle. I said, yeah, here, here you go. Here's five bucks. And I think I, I think I probably cut the shell right out of them and tried to save them. But uh, it wasn't something I was interested in. It was just something to play along with them on that stupid, stupid entrapment related stuff. So, you know, uh, these are turtle dealers, right? So yeah. I get done with that deal. I went home. I called Gary Phillips. I said, I got a good tape recording. It's beautiful. And I said, Gary, I said, are these guys Georgia DNR officers? And he, he said, wow. no. He's like, I don't think so. I don't think they, well, I don't think so. I don't know. Whatever. And I said, these guys are were acting weird. And I, I don't seem like there'd be some turtle dealers, you know? Right. And, uh, so I said, I got a good tape recording though for you. And I had these 12 turtles from Alabama and he told me to hang on to them. I called him in the springtime. I said, you, you, you know, you need to either let me have these turtles. You need to let me send them to you or you need to let me take them and let them go. Right. This year I've taken care of them all winter and you didn't even want an affidavit from me. You didn't even want a report from me. You didn't even interview me. You didn't even want my tape recording. And he said, well, hang on to those turtles. Some things are going to happen in the fall. And I said, I said, well, okay. And then on July 21st, 2005, 
uh, at my job, we were experimenting with four-day work weeks instead of five-day work weeks. Mm-hmm. And my, my coworker, Chad, kind of kind of cheated me out of my Friday off, so I had to take a Thursday off. And right. I don't know, I don't know about you, but everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. So, so when I got cheated out of my Friday off, I had Thursday off, and, and Thursday was the 21st of Ju- of July, 2005. So I left the house early in the morning, like I normally would, but I went to go pick up 200 pounds of fish to go feed the pond that I had in Stone Mountain that was full of alligator snapping turtles from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to talk all about that pond and all, all about that whole collection effort in an episode or two. But I went to feed those turtles and throw those 200 pounds of fish in there. And I went by my wife's job. We went out to eat and uh, for lunch. Mm-hmm. And I came home after lunch to 10 game wardens in my house taking everything I owned. And in the house was Gary Phillips, the federal agent out of Montgomery that sent me the four hundred dollars. Yeah. And in the in the house was Steve Davis, uh, otherwise known as Steve Seitz of the Georgia Department of Natural Resources Conservation Ranger, working undercover on my case, Operation Snapper, that they called it. Uh, and uh, Gary Phillips was trying to tell me his hands were tied. There's nothing he could do. And there were about 10 other agents, including a guy named Thomas Floyd, who's a biologist who had it totally in his gut to help these agents completely prosecute me to the fullest extent of the law. And uh, they went down to uh, Judge Connor in Gwinnett County, Georgia, and they got a search warrant based on me insisting on buying illegal wildlife from undercover officers. That's exactly how it says in the search warrant. Mr. Santhoff insisted on buying illegal wildlife from undercover officers. Mm. And then what we could do is, uh, how's our time looking? You want to pause it right now? Yeah, that sounds like a great stopping point because that is a absolutely awesome cliffhanger. Uh, And and next week we can talk about um, we can talk about what happened. We'll just move on. Oh, yeah, we'll just keep on moving on. We got jail. We got federal court cases. We got corrupt federal judges. We got 21 potential years in jail. We got hundreds of thousand dollars in attorney fees. Uh, This didn't end until this year. This just ended in in July 2019. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, this is is an awesome cliffhanger because uh, I'm dying to know uh, what your feelings were. how do you feel when you've you just felt like you've just been uh hustled almost in a way and 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 just like oh man what's what's about to happen am i about to go to jail you know i mean my god you can't, that believe, it. You can't believe it yeah uh, you there's you got no idea i was worried for my life in the early part of this uh, and, and how old were you around this time when all let's this see i was born down? in 71 this is uh this is 2005 i was what early 30s yeah, about around my age, probably. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh man, that is so yeah, scary. I think, <laughs> I think I think I was thirty four, thirty five, in two thousand five, when this happened. Okay, so yeah. next week we're going to visit and then find out more about how they. Uh, well, they we'll talk more about the search warrant and the search yeah. warrant, and I want to hear about you, uh, what uh, your time in jail and and uh, what you're going through and what you're. What's your planning? Uh, what's your next move to um, bring down the corruption um, and all, and everything that it, that had happened to you? So it sounds, sounds like good. this is going to be a several episode. Uh, this turtle. I, I, 
I think we're going to get seven or eight hours into this, and I don't think any of it's going to be boring for anybody. I've had dozens of people tell me this whole thing needs to turn into a motion picture. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm welcome to some phone calls on that. I've been talking to a to a Jason Wisely. I'm hoping that we've been talking about it for 10 years, and uh, he's a filmmaker and whatnot. And um, I've got a call into him today to, to let him know that we need to hurry up and get going on this before some other folks. Well, you tell him that the uh, Thorny Turtle Ranch podcast will be out uh, within the next day, and uh, it, it's this is a this is a fascinating story, and I can't wait to put it out there and get some responses back. Thomas, I'm real glad that you took an interest in this. It's it's been a long time coming, and I'm glad you're the one that. that uh, hey, everything happens for a reason. We met it for does. a reason. It does, man. The whole way that we met totally unfolded for a reason, like it did. Yes. Yeah, that's all. all right. All right, buddy. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks. We will thanks see you for next calling. Week for the podcast, yep. and uh, look forward to it, man. All right. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye bye. On the next Thorny Turtle Ranch podcast, Steve will go through how it felt to come into his house with his wife to see strangers going through his things. The fallout of all the betrayal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for episode two of the Thorny Turtle Ranch podcast.